0: Hello and welcome to the Friday, July 8th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, the Iowa Supreme Court just says no to Governor Reynolds and some interesting numbers regarding Iowa's registered voters in a new U.S. Senate poll in Iowa. Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom.
1: Good morning, Aaron.
0: Lee, DeMune, uh, blah, 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 blah. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, Aaron. I, I speak multiple languages. I'll let you listeners decide which language that was. Uh, I tried out on you there. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Good morning, Jared.
2: Good morning, Aaron. My money is still in your pocket, which is from the yield of my labor. Uh, rest in peace to James Conn.
0: Ah, oh, well done. Well done. Rest in peace indeed. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah.
3: Good morning.
0: And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman is here. Good morning, Todd.
4: Good morning.
0: First up this week, it's mostly just a procedural matter, but worth noting nonetheless that early this week, the Iowa Supreme Court declined Governor Kim Reynolds' request to retry a case on the state law that requires a 24-hour waiting period before a woman can have an abortion. Reynolds' hope was that the Supreme Court would rehear the case so it could rule on what legal standards should be applied to future abortion regulations in the state. Instead, the case will now return to the district court where a judge will make that ruling. And then, presumably, that judge's ruling will be challenged and the case will return to the Supreme Court anyway. Uh, So, Todd, as I said at the top, this seems on the surface to be mostly a procedural matter and and at most a delay until the Iowa Supreme Court ultimately has to weigh in on this anyway. Uh let me know am I am I missing anything or is is there any other significance at all to the court rejecting this request from Governor Reynolds?
4: No, I don't I don't think so. I mean, it's not surprising that they kind of rejected her you know, her uh request. Uh I mean, they just they just ruled in this case what was it 3 weeks ago? Uh, basically the ruling was that there's no fundamental right to an abortion, but beyond that, they didn't really set, uh, you know, what level of judicial scrutiny needs to be cleared by the legislature and the governor. If they enact, you know, tougher abortion restrictions, uh, they sent it back to the district. I mean, well, and the ruling said that, you know, at, at that point that the, the undue burden test of, uh, of the Casey U.S. Supreme Court ruling was still in force, but that's now gone after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and Casey. So it goes back to the district court. Both sides will, you know, argue for different levels of judicial review. And, and once that a ruling goes, comes on that, then it'll go back to the Supreme Court and they'll ultimately decide what the level of review is. Uh, the other avenue she's pursuing, you know, on the uh, the injunction that's, got the the so-called heartbeat bill on hold that may actually arrive at the court first, but it's, uh, I think, you know, this entire strategy is to basically keep it in the courts and, and avoid, you know, a, a special session that might cause some suburban lawmakers to, to, uh, you know, take a tough vote and also, to welcome back the, you know, the the representatives that she, that she uh, ousted in primaries. And I don't know what sort of mischief they might make if (laughs) they get to come back and uh, do a little lawmaking as, as lame ducks. So yeah, it's going to be a while before this, we figure this out and it'll probably be after, you know, after the election, perhaps maybe sooner.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Todd. There's a political element there and and then uh from some experts I've talked to too, there there, there is an in uh a, a, an element of to some extent it's it's kind of pointless to call a special session and bring them back because you don't know what the courts are going to um you know how they're going to see future restrictions so to, to, like you were describing so until until they know how the courts are going to um, in, interpret uh, uh, any kind of restriction or ban. It, it, it's it that there may be a feeling that well, I mean, th- there's no point in passing a law now. Anyways. Um... You noted, and, and and I wanted to highlight, too, um, that Reynolds has also requested the lower courts to, to remove their injunction on the state's um, so-called fetal heartbeat law, which bans abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy, which often is before a woman even knows she's pregnant. Uh, as of Friday morning as we're recording this podcast, and here's the kind of service we deliver to you, our loyal podcast listeners. I literally just now looked this up on Iowa courts, so this is as fresh as news as possible can be. Uh, the court has not yet responded to that request. So if they do Friday afternoon, it's it's not my fault. I I did my best for you. (laughs) Um, And then again, just as a public service, as a reminder, so for now, the the current state law remains in effect and abortion in Iowa remains legal until uh, roughly the 20th week of pregnancy. Uh, And now that 24-hour waiting period is in effect now. So after the first appointment, a a woman has to wait another 24 hours before having the abortion.
2: I was wondering about all of this. Is there any way in which some of this stuff getting slowed down, you know, however slightly is going to make other pushes more difficult? Because, you know, you hear the like conventional wisdom again and again, that at every level of government, you only have so much capital in a given period of time to expend, and since it looks like this might be getting pushed back maybe into next year, is that going to put something else on the on the back burner now, does anyone think?
0: Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't th- – like, is there like a domino effect that if they have to, to, to take time figuring this out next year, does that occupy space where they could have been working on something else? Is, is that what you mean, Jared? Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it, but, but my, there may be something to that. I mean, uh, you know um, – if they come back to try to tackle this during a legislative session, uh, yeah, that's that's there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, cooks in that kitchen, and <laughs> there's going to be a, a lot of interest, and in and that is going to take up a, a lot of time and effort, and 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 maybe it does come at the expense of uh, another top issue. I mean, I can't imagine it stops them from doing another tax cut bill. I I'd imagine they could, you know, manage to to walk and chew that gum at the same time, but. But farther down the line, uh, yeah, maybe. That's an interesting thought. We'll find out uh eventually and we'll record, we'll report back to you here on the on Iowa Politics podcast when that happens. Moving on, next up this week. The latest voter registration figures in Iowa were certainly noteworthy. The Iowa Secretary of State's office updates those numbers monthly, so the July update was the first since the June 7 primary elections. Caleb, you looked into those numbers and, and uh, filed a little report. Uh, tell us what you found there and, and what Republicans and Democrats had to say about those latest forgery registration numbers in Iowa.
5: Yeah, so uh, both parties gained voters between June and July, um, which, you know, likely people registering before the primary or on primary day. But Republicans gains uh, far outpaced Democratic gains. They gained about 25,000 voters just in that one month, while Democrats gained about 5,000. And so if you look at the last year, that means that Democrats have lost a net 15,000 voters and Republicans have gained a net 20,000. Um, which is uh, a big swing in a year, and you know, registration numbers aren't everything. They change for a lot of reasons, but it definitely tells us, um, at least to some degree, that Republican messaging seems to be working in Iowa. You know, we have a pretty unpopular Democratic president. He gets a, bl- a lot of the blame for inflation, um, other economic concerns people have, and people are associating that with Democrats across the state. Um, and it's hard to get you know super granular with these numbers, but. Um, based on people I talked to, at least anecdotally, um, this type of uh, Republican shift is happening in the suburbs, like we're seeing kind of across the country. People who may have voted for Biden, who aren't, you know, strongly Democratic, but had a distaste for Trump are kind of moving back to the Republican Party. Um, so Re- Republican, uh, the Iowa Republican chair, Jeff Kaufman, uh, you know, said obviously he was excited about these numbers and um, he he kind of said the same thing, that this is really a... a uh, out of a distaste for Biden. Um, and he said, you know, that they're going to keep working, the party's going to keep working to register voters and get people out to vote um, in November. And then Democrats looking at these numbers, you know, uh, the party chair, Ross Wilburn, was uh, quick to note that they're still up. Uh, they have a majority in three of the four congressional districts. Um, in the super Republican fourth district, they're outnumbered by about two to one. So that's where the all the big gains come from. Um, and so he's, he said, you know, they're going to use that advantage, try to leverage uh, no party voters um, to come out in and support of them in November to win some of those districts. And then, uh, you know, somewhat, some other Republic, or Democrats mentioned, and uh, this is definitely worth noting, that, you know, anecdotally, they had spoken to some Democrats that um, registered as Republicans to vote in the primary because there was such uh, competitive or... I guess such contested elections um, in certain state house races around uh, governor Reynolds uh, push to you to use school vouchers um, pass a law uh, allowing school vouchers for, for private schools. Um, and so some of those republic- uh, Democrats may have registered as Republicans to vote for uh, the Republican candidates that were against that proposal. Um, so that, that could, that could contribute to it. But I, I mean, I think it, it's definitely, you, you definitely didn't see 25,000 Democrats. Um registering for that. So there's, (laughs) there's some, you know, there's something going on here. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Todd, Todd, let me, let me ask you real, real quick here. Um, it, it, the number surprised me in, in so much as it, it seemed like the Democrats had more high profile, uh, primaries. Well, and as I say that it was one, um, but it was a statewide one. Um, first Senate. Republicans just had the one um, real interesting contested primary in, in the third congressional district here in central Iowa. Um, I would have thought just based on the level of interest in the races that Democrats would have fared a little better than they did. Am, it, what, what am I missing here? Am I wrong to be surprised by that?
4: Well, I no. I mean, I think the, the numbers are a little larger than you know, what you might expect, but I mean, you know, the Biden is unpopular, the state's trending Republican. I mean, it's it's a combination of things. But I, you know, given the, you know, the power situation in the in the state and complete Republican control and sort of the momentum that they have, I think that, you know, it's not surprising that they they gained voters.
0: Yeah.
4: Uh, Sarah,
0: I wanted to ask you, because you uh, cover an area of the state where swings in voter numbers uh, um, actually matter can actually change the outcomes of elections. Um, What's your reaction when you see that? Should, should, you know, Mississippi River County uh, Democrats and uh, be worried uh, when they see these numbers?
3: Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, um, you know, looking at them, it looks like Scott County lost 812 Democratic voters over the last year. And Republicans gained 915 voters over the last year. So um, fairly big swing for 30,000 roughly voter or registered, or I should say, and then, oh, and then uh, independent voters gained 454. So the statewide candidates typically in the last four years have won by, Democrats have won by 2,000 or 3,000 votes. So that's not probably going to have a huge maybe effect. I mean, those like one, you know, 800 votes or 800 registered voters may not translate into votes, but we don't know how they'll vote all the way down the ballot. But in like local county races, um, there was one candidate that lost in 2020 by 70 votes. So if those changes in voter registration numbers also translate into um, votes and disenfranchised voters, that might be concerning for local Democrats.
0: Yeah. All right. Again, something we'll keep an eye on those numbers uh, throughout the summer and into the fall as, as the campaign really picks up. Um, Sarah, will stick with you uh, real quick here. I wanted to talk to you about an interesting story coming out of the uh, Quad Cities area from from this past weekend um, where uh, uh, I believe it was the Scott County Democrats were marching in a parade and had an uh, interesting set of interactions with some uh Parade watchers. I'll just I'll just leave the setup there and and let you take it from here. Tell us what happened and and what folks have been saying uh, in the aftermath.
3: Yeah, so the Scott County Democrats, they um, lodged an informal complaint with the parade organizers of the Bettendorf um, July 4th parade after um, they say their float and people on it were aggressively targeted with water balloons and people yelling anti-Democratic, anti-Biden obscenities at them. Um, In particular, the driver of the float said that people there was a small group of people that um, approached them yelling, you know, F Biden, F Democrats, and hit one older volunteer in the head with a water balloon who wasn't expecting it. And so as I was writing this story, some people who are pictured in the photos that the Scott County Democrats posted online saying, this is this is who did this, really came out of the woodwork and called me. And, and they are very adamant that no, there wasn't, we, we throw water balloons at all of the uh, parade floats and, and uh you know this is a yearly tradition and deny that there was any anti-democratic yelling or, or targeting and and of course i mean those folks admit that you know they might not have had eyes and ears on every single person that was there but um so so that's kind of what has uh The posts online that the the Scott County Democrats posts online um, have really drawn uh, some some people who are in those photos, you know, uh, saying, you know, no, that's uh, not exactly what happened. But um, but the still the fact remains that the Scott County Democrats, you know, made this complaint to the Bettendorf parade organizers and and say they were they were targeted.
0: Oh, man. Interesting. Just uh, trying to have a little parade and and. Here's what we end up with did did you say, Sarah we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record here is there is there talk about some kind of uh meeting between the two involved parties here and to try and clear the air did i Did I understand you right Yes yeah,
3: yeah, I think it's actually it's later today they're um the driver of the float and some of the um parents that were in the photo are gonna meet and try to clear the air
0: hey that that's encouraging. Uh, At at the very least, which uh, um, (laughs) I hate to be cynical here, but that suggests to me that they're not Republicans, because why on the world would any Republican and Democrat get together these days? So they must not be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll we'll ask you next week on the podcast how that that uh, meeting turned out, Sarah. Sounds good. So all all, all politics is local. And and, uh, that's a fun little local one. Uh, finally, this week, uh, an interesting poll came out in Iowa's U.S. Senate campaign. The poll was commissioned by Democratic candidate Mike Franken's campaign. and it was conducted by Change Research, and it showed Franken within five points of longtime incumbent Republican U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, 49 percent to 44. Now, it's always instructive to take internal polls with a grain of salt. That's the huge caveat here. But this is the same firm that Franken employed during the primary, and in mid and in mid May, the the Change Research poll found Franken virtually tied with Abby Finkenauer, and we all know how that turned out. So, um, Tom, let me start with you here. Chuck Grassley's used to walloping his general election opponents by double digits. Is this poll a signal that this campaign is going to be different?
1: So, while Franken was able to increase his support, uh, ousting Grassley will still be a significant challenge for the Democratic underdog. Barack Obama took Iowa in both um, presidential races, but the state has been trending more red in recent years. And as Caleb noted, with Democrats losing registered voters and Republicans emerging from the June primary with a a big voter advantage, it's going to make Iowa um, tougher sell, harder place to win for Democrats. As you mentioned, Grassley's never won an election with less than sixty percent of the vote since his um, first bid for office in nineteen eighty. Politico is forecasting that um, the long-term senator will win in November, calling it a solid Republican seat. Uh, the Cook Political Report also believes um, Grassley will easily keep his seat. And I was just looking at um, five thirty-eight and looking at their. Um, uh, election, um, models and their, um, election models that, that, that they ran, they're saying that Grassley wins 99 in a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, definitely think that the poll shows that, um, maybe not necessarily a, a, a foregone conclusion that Grassley will win re-election. Um, you know, it, it shows that there might be um, a slight, a slight avenue um, potentially for for Franken to, um, you know, kind of eke out or squeak out um, a win. But again, it's it's still going to be a, an uphill battle. You know, I think Grassley still remains um, fairly popular in Iowa, you know, not as popular as he used to be um, and maybe not as popular as um you know, we've, we've, we've seen um, in past elections or past campaigns that, that he's run in the state. But again, with, with Iowa trending more red, you know, Republicans picking up more registered voters, you know, Democrats losing some ground, particularly in those Mississippi River towns that, you know, once, to, once were strong, you know, Democratic strongholds um, for the party. You know, the fact that, that you're seeing more educated voters leaving the state, um, you're seeing kind of an erosion of the strength of organized labor. I think, you know, all of that plays well into the hands of, of, of Republicans and Grassley and, and kind of makes a tough road ahead for Franken.
0: Yep. No, that's that's all s- smart analysis. J- Jared, what, what how would say you about this poll? Is, is this an eye catcher to be seriously considered or is it an outlier to be dismissed out of hand?
2: Well, uh, first I should ask Tom. Did just I want to make sure I have this right. Did you say one of those figures was ninety-nine out of a hundred odds for Grassley to win? Is that what one of those was? Yeah, five five
1: thirty-eight. So they said that their model simulates the election forty thousand times to see who wins most often, and then they provided a sample of a hundred outcomes to give you an idea of the range of you know scenarios the model considers possible. And um, according, according to that sample of a hundred. Simulations—they're saying that uh, Chuck Grassley wins ninety-nine and hundred. Well,
2: I—I I should just start by saying that that's stupid. I don't care what the two-person race is when it's down to two candidates. Calling something ninety-nine out of a hundred is just begging to be proven wrong or get clowned on. And I—I w- I would point out that 538 models also had the the uh, Boston Celtics winning the NBA championship pretty easily, and uh, that didn't happen. So. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, so Mike, uh, so Mike Franken should hire Steph Curry for his campaign. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there you Jay? go.
2: Crossover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, obviously the conventional wisdom is that candidate commissioned polls aren't as reliable as independent polls, and you know conventional wisdom like uh, Tom was sharing is that this is relatively safe for Republicans because Grassley has clobbered every opponent he's ever had basically since he first ran for the Senate. And, you know, like you mentioned, Aaron, uh, Change Research showed Franken with a lead over Finkenauer, and he dramatically overperformed that in a race where a lot of, you know, political types from outside of the state really seemed to think that it was Finkenauer's to lose. So just because it's a candidate-commissioned poll, it doesn't necessarily mean that it should be dismissed out of hand, especially when we don't really have a lot of other polls for this race yet, so anyone we can get. Even a poll like this does kind of hold some weight, I think. So, you know, don't completely dismiss this, but maybe don't necessarily
4: take this info and bet on it either because Grassley is still a favorite here. I, I thought what was interesting beyond the top line numbers, there was another part of the poll where uh, they polled after reading bi- bio- biology biography statements about each candidate, and after that, Grassley's leads just, uh, shrank to 47-46. 40, and support, I think I've got the thing here, support from, uh, for Franken, 37% of his support came from independents and Republicans, which is, again, an internal poll. But interesting that once you let the candidates know, or let the, the uh, respondents know about the candidates' backgrounds, uh, Grassley did a little worse.
2: Yeah. Uh- Todd, you saying that just uh, jogged my memory when I was. Uh, I also have to do online stuff for the the journal here, and so I see all the comments on all the stories that we post on on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Which those are those are really fun to uh, peruse uh, sometimes. And when that uh, article initially uh, published, just a perfect encapsulation of how all over the place people's views can be sometimes. Someone commented something to the effect of they don't like Grassley they like Franken but they can't vote for a Democrat and I wonder how many other people there are like that uh, in this state maybe I don't know if it's just that yeah. lone Facebook commenter or not
0: interesting interesting and just for the benefit of the listeners Todd mentioned that uh, secondary question after the biographical information and I, I and I know Todd did too but I checked out that the actual phrasing in that and so and just in case the cynics out there are saying, uh oh well, what so what did they say? Mike Franken has been a military hero his whole life, and Chuck Grassley is uh evil and and wants kids <laughs> to you know be thrown off of bridges. Um, no wonder that those numbers changed no it was it wasn't anything like that. It was actually fairly balanced uh wording maybe a little more effusive uh, for Franken's background, but but I, I wouldn't say by a whole lot. So so that was interesting, too. I guess what this whole block here I think we can agree is basically subtweeting Ann Seltzer. Uh, we need you to get up and uh, on the job, Ann. Let, let's get an Iowa poll out here and then we'll know whether this uh, change research hit the mark or not. So,
4: Well, they'll, they'll probably do a generic ballot Senate poll. Oh, God, if <laughs>
0: If they do well, and hopefully if there
2: are any if there are any polls, they uh, they don't get spiked like two days before uh, the election, Um, like happened in 2020.
0: Yes, man. Also, this boy, poor Ann, we're really ragging on the Iowa poll here, giving them a hard time. Of course, in those examples, they deserve it. But overall, we love Ann and we love the Iowa poll. Yes. And we love on Iowa politics podcasts. We hope you do too. And we hope you enjoyed this edition. We'll be back again next week. If you did enjoy the podcast, tell your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, all those fancy places. And you can send fan mail to podcasts at the gazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you hear here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Montpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Kelly Party Cooper will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on our show, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Jared, Sarah, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
6: It's my name i Home, I miss the corn and beans. The sand it's in my lungs. I could really use some rain. She turned the lights down, crept up close to me, so I would feel. It's the blood.